you may not be listening to this on the Sunday that we uh, present this, uh, this sermon. Um, but I'll just say this. Uh, I put this sermon together with the thought that it is Labor Day. And Labor Day is a special, a special day, a special occasion. Um, just It's the opportunity to be able to celebrate the fact that we are able to work. And it's kind of ironic, I find, uh, this Labor Day because, you know, for years and years, we just kind of celebrated the fact that there was work and there were so many things that, uh, that were appreciated, that people have done, uh, uh, special workers, those who just kind of do the, the everyday jobs, as well as some of the professionals, business owners, all those people who are working so hard. But it's kind of an ironic thing when you consider that as we look at Labor Day uh, 2022, that... It happens in the midst of a time where we have a crisis of not enough workers. That every time you turn a page of the newspaper or if you read uh, uh, the news uh, on the internet, that there's so many cases where there's not enough workers, there's not enough people to be able to get things done. And, and that's kind of an interesting thing if you stop and think of it in the light of today. There's a verse I always think about. Uh, when it comes to Labor Day. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. That's kind of found in Colossians. And it's a book that I'm hoping you will see a little bit differently as we get into the message this morning. But it reveals that work is a God thing. There are many people who go through their life figuring that they had to work all of a sudden, at the end, coming to the realization that they got to work. That work is a good thing. That work is the thing that helps us within our character. That with God, we are always working. That we were never, ever created to be a wallflower. That there will always be a job to do. We will be doing a job even into eternity. It's the way God created us. It's the, it's the special thing. It's, the something, it's something that we, are, we are ought to celebrate and it's an interesting thing. The thing I want to show you today is this, that God is always working on us as individuals. But he does it by allowing us to work for and on each other while God works in us and through us. And this is seen particularly in a number of times throughout Scripture. But particularly in one particular book of the, the Bible, which is called Philemon. Now, if you're kind of going through the New Testament, that's kind of the one book that you forget. It's like really small. It's only 25 verses. What could this thing possibly have to say to um, us today? Um, and, you know, you can ask yourself this question. Have I even ever heard a sermon on the book of Philemon? Like, what purpose does it serve? And for those of you who have kind of been reading the Bible for years and you have read the book of Philemon a number of times in the New Testament, you may be asking, well, what is this all about? It's just about this, this, this letter that Paul sends to this, to this rich merchant to, to forgive this, this other slave that, that somehow ran away from him. What is the significance of, of this whole thing? Why is it even in um, the Bible? But if you take a closer look and you're able to wipe off the dust of culture and context, you will see a lot, lot more. It's a story about the coincidences God creates to provide healing to his body. 
It's a story about how the family of God works, or at least how the family of God should work. It's about forgiveness. It's about giving up our right to be angry. It's about going the extra mile. It's about taking risks. It's about willing to go and overlook debt. And in one word, it is the practice of a thing that we call in the church grace. Grace is something which is absolutely important. And so let's take a look at this book. I'm going to read the whole book. You say, well, I'm going to read the whole book. It's going to be here forever. It's only 335 Greek words and probably about the same in English. It's not long. So to get the whole grasp of thing, I thought I would just read the whole, the whole 25 verses to you. It goes like this. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, and dear friend and fellow worker, and also Aphia, our sister, probably Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably could be his son or our church leader. And to the church that meets in your home, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love and all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Going on to verse 8, it says this. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him or to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason... He was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is a, dear, he is a very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest table for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in, in answer to your prayers. Ephrus, my Fellow brother, a prisoner in, in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's it. What possibly could we learn from a letter from this? 
What is so important in this letter that the Holy Spirit, who anointed the word through the apostle, would say this is something that needs to be in the canon of Scripture, something that has been important for the church to understand for the last 2,000 years. What is it? What do we learn? Well, here is what is happening. In order to understand the book of Philemon, you need to understand exactly what slavery represented in that particular time. Now, I am sure that there were probably instances where people were in subjection of cruel slavery. That people were just taken against their will and forced to do labor, much like we understand slavery as we had seen it taking place in, in the United States a couple, hundreds, a couple hundred years ago. But in this particular case, you need to understand that as a whole, slavery at that particular time, when the Bible talks about slavery, this is probably what it's talking about. That in that time, as the scriptures were written, there was a lot of poverty that had taken place. And as a result, there were occasions, many occasions, for much of the society, people made a choice. The poverty that we are under is so bad that we can't possibly live. So what we will do is we will contract ourselves out to a merchant. Or perhaps if there was a big debt that had to be paid, they'd say, I will contract myself out to a merchant and work for him. And as a result, me and my family and my children will not only have a roof over our head, but we will also have some kind of sustenance to live. We will be able to eat every day and there will be some form of life that we will be able to live. And as a result, those people who were quote-unquote slaves at that time lived a whole lot better than those people who were not under a contract because poverty was so difficult that it was very hard to actually find anything to do to be able to live. And so this was kind of the resort that had to happen and, and many people made that decision. Well, I want to live, and I want to live a good life, and, I, and if I work and I contract myself out to this individual, I will be actually able to live a good life. This was the case with Philemon, who was a wealthy merchant of some sort, and his servant Onesimus. It doesn't tell us how long Onesimus was him. There are occasions where people were born into this contract, that from the time that they were very, very young, they were part of that, this whole process. It doesn't tell us the situation. doesn't tell us exactly what had gone on. But Onesimus one day decides, I no longer want to be under the rule of this individual. There's nothing that indicated that Philemon was cruel. As a matter of fact, everything indicates that he was actually quite kind. And so what happens is he leaves. And not only does he leave, the scripture seems to indicate that he probably stole some things. He probably took some property of some sort from Philemon, and he hightails it out. Like, he leaves. He goes a long distance. He goes to Rome. Now, Rome, from Colossae, is about 2,100 kilometers. And remember, you can't hop on a plane. You can't take the bus. There's no train. You can't even get in a car. I'm not too sure if he even had a horse or anything. He was just a slave. That's a pretty long journey. You're kind of saying to yourself, I for sure don't want to be caught. And so that's what he does. He finally gets himself to, to Rome. I, he's there for a little while. 
And it appears to me as I look at this passage of Scripture, he probably got himself in trouble in Rome. I'm not too sure if this Onesimus character was a very nice guy prior to him coming to know Jesus. And the reason I say that is because Onesimus probably met Paul in prison. Paul kind of says in the letter, this is Onesimus who had become valuable to me. Well, how did he even get to know Paul? Paul was in prison. The only way that Onesimus would get to know Paul is if Onesimus was in prison for at least a little while himself. So while he's in prison, Onesimus comes to know Jesus through Paul. And he begins to draw near to Paul. It says that, that Onesimus is, is a, um, like a son in changes. That's, that's exactly what it says. And, and it's interesting that the word Onesimus means useful or beneficial. And that becomes something which Paul uses a play on in the words as he writes the letter to Onesimus. He says, man, you are so valuable to me. And so even after he comes out of prison, he begins to serve Paul. He begins to help him. And they draw close to each other. But as he draws closer to Jesus, I believe that there are things that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to in Onesimus' heart. And he begins to tell the story to Paul. He says, I just want you to know that there's a lot of things in my past that I still have regret about. I was a slave and I ran out of my contract. As a matter of fact, I stole some things from this individual and I took off. And now I'm here in Rome. But for some reason, this seems to be aching on my heart. And so Paul says to him, well, who is this guy? Well, he's a guy in the town of Colossae named Philemon. Philemon or Philemon? I know Philemon. I led Philemon to the Lord. No way. Yes, 2,000 miles away. And all of a sudden, we seem to know the same guy 2,000, 2000 kilometers away. That's incredible. How do I, how do I you know... I ran away from this contract, and this still kind of hangs over to me. And so this is what he says. He says, Onesimus, I love you, Paul says. You are so valuable to me. But if you don't go back and make it right with another brother in the Lord, which you are now, there will be a hole in your faith. It'll be difficult for you to be able to go on to the next place where God wants you to be. And so I think you should go back, even though you're that much valuable to me. And Onesimus probably says, yeah, but if I go back, I could be subject to prison. I could be subject to torture. I'm not too sure if he is going to forgive me. I'm not too sure if I would forgive me. I don't know if they are going to call me back. I don't know if the church is going to call me back. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And all these things. And so Paul probably after prayerful deliberation, says this. I am already writing a book to the church, or a letter to the church of Colossae. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write a letter to Philemon. The church meets at his house. He's the leader of that church. So when I write a letter to the church of Colossae, I'm also going to write a letter to Philemon as well. And so what ends up happening 
is Paul gets Onesimus, this escaped slave. And he also gets another servant named Tychicus or Tychicus. Maybe he has Tychicus there because he's not too sure how things are going to go either. And they end up going up to Philemon's doorstep, knocking on his door. And can you imagine Philemon opening the door and seeing this individual who ran away from him, who broke the contract, who stole things from him, with two letters in his hand. One is the everyday book in the Bible of Colossians that we know, as well as the everyday letter that Paul gives to Philemon. And he says, Brother Paul has given me this to you. Now, I'm not too sure, but there have not been too many occasions where a person has come to a person's door um, after breaking a contract, returning on their own. And so history kind of shows that Philemon seems, and history seems to indicate that the church was in his house. It's where it all began. And so how do you react when your runaway slave comes to your front door with a letter from the spiritual leader of the church from Rome and refers to both of you as brother? That'd be a tough thing. I'll just say this. I don't know if it's much of a different feeling, much of a different tension than what we face today. That sometimes that takes place in our very own midst, does it not? Some of the things that we've gone through over the last couple of years, some of the things that have been said, some of the silent debt that we seem to think that we need to be paid back to us because of some of the things that were said and some of the thoughts that were had and some of the positions that people had. And if you look close, this is an example of what makes the church the most special. Grace, but not just grace, but grace in community. And I'm not too sure, <coughs> excuse me, if we have been really good at grace and community lately, I think that there's a tension that still exists. It's kind of a fight like a fight that happens within a family. And you realize because it's family, you need to kind of patch it up. But you don't really patch it up, and it's never really dealt with. It's just kind of tucked in the back corner or back closet. And you still kind of silently hold the grudge. The, the tension is still kind of there. You know, there's a silent mark on the record that you have of the wrongs. You know how, G how, how Peter or Paul, when he talks to Corinthians and talks about love, has no records of wrongs. Well... Well, it's kind of on that silent record of wrongs that we have towards other people. And maybe Philemon, this book of Philemon, maybe specific, specifically for a time like this. And we need to re-examine or rediscover the wonder of this thing called grace. Grace is the reason why we listen to these podcasts or we listen to these sermons today, we realize that there is this aspect of grace in our lives. You know, the acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You can't earn your way to heaven. You are bound for hell. The, the, the default for us is to be in a lost eternity. There is sin in us from our DNA, right from the start, it doesn't matter how many good things, it doesn't matter whether the good things outweigh the bad things. 
Grace is that thing which says, you are guilty no matter what. But I gave my son, died on the cross. I allowed him to pay the price so that you can actually be with God in eternity. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, basically, if we think of grace, it is to extend love and kindness and favor and forgiveness when it is undeserved. We understand grace as individuals because grace is extended to us. We have a harder time understanding grace when we have to extend it to other people. It's true, isn't it? We understand grace when it applies to our lives. We don't understand it as much when we need to extend it to others. And maybe this is the dilemma of Philemon, but it is also the dilemma that we face every day. So if you give me a few minutes, I want to talk to you about why Philemon is such an important book. Because it reveals some crucial repercussions of grace. There are repercussions when grace rules in our lives. The first thing I'll say is this, is that grace will refresh others. If you read this book of Philemon, you will realize that when God talks about Philemon, he says a bunch of wonderful things. Philemon was a wonderful guy. Philemon did wonderful things for the church. It says in verse 7 of Philemon that he refreshed the hearts of the people of the church. If you look at other translations, it talks, it talks even more graphically about it. It talks about it that he cleansed the insides, even the innermost parts of the church. Have you met people like that? Have you met those people who just refresh the church? Every time you talk to them, it's like drinking a glass of cold water. They just refresh you. They just have so much of Jesus in them. They just have so much grace in them that it spills out onto your life. You get grace spilled on you because of, of the goodness that they have and the grace that they have discovered and they live out in their life. I remember in a former church, there was a, there was a lady whose name was Zola in her 80s. I remember her calling me up regularly. You know, I think she was all of four foot ten, if she was that. And she said, Pastor Mike, I love you so much. I just want to say that I love you, and I pray for you every day, and I pray for your kids every day, and I just enjoy your sermons. And, and you know, I don't know whether she was a liar. Hopefully she wasn't. I just enjoy everything you have to say and all that you do for us as a pastor. And I want to say thank you, and I just wanted to tell you that I'm praying for you, and I hope you don't mind me calling you. And I thought, man, I am so special to have a person like this in my congregation. But then I discovered that I wasn't the only one that she was calling. She was calling dozens of people in the church, regularly talking to them. It's like she had a list. It was something that she did regularly. I would imagine that there was probably an hour or to two hours a day she would be calling people, telling them that they love them. Man, people just loved her. She had her spot at the church. She, was, she had a hollowed position in the church. And, and two or three months after I had left the church, she passed away. And, and the church was packed, packed with people who influenced her. As a matter of fact, when I did baptism, it was a regular occurrence where they said, I would like to thank Sola, who meant so much to you. Many of them were young people. She impacted my life. She refreshed the church. She breathed life into the church. She made you feel better. The grace spilled onto my, onto my life 
and still has its effect. There are other individuals I could talk to. I know there's a fellow whose name was Lowell in, in the church where I first got saved. He would go out of his way. And I was just kind of this snotty-nosed, rebellious, dumb kid. And he went out of his way to encourage me every day. His grace just splashed into my life. And it leads me to ask myself, does the grace on my life spill out onto others? Is my life refreshing the body of Christ? Grace refreshes others. Grace also restores life. You know what's funny about this passage in, in Philemon? It gives two different characters, doesn't it? It gives Philemon, who Paul had won to the Lord years prior. Now, Paul never ever went and visited Colossae that we know of. But somewhere along the way, somewhere in the journey, he talks to, Col to, to Philemon, leads Philemon to the Lord. And this guy was just such a, a wonderful guy as, as God got a hold of his life. The other one was Onesimus, who we're not too sure how good he really was. You know, his history tells us that he wasn't really that nice of a guy. But God gets a hold of his life. And God transforms him. And he proves to be invaluable for the sake of the gospel. Two of them. The thing is, both of them equally knew Jesus. And God restored the life of Philemon. God restored the life of Onesimus. And when we enter the story, Philemon was within his rights to say, send this guy to prison. Let him take on the stripes or whatever punishment which was necessary for, for um, escaped slaves. There may have been other people who were talking over his right shoulder, over his left shoulder, and saying, you know what, it's okay if you forgive him. Yes, you do forgive him. But if you don't do something, if there's no repercussions, the rest of the slaves that are part of your party will take note, and they'll do the exact same thing. He was within his rights. You could better make an example of him, but Philemon had to deal with the anger and the betrayal and the loss of trust. He may be useful to you. He may be beneficial to you, Paul, but he certainly isn't useful to me. And that's what he's thinking as he's standing at the door. Onesimus is not governed by anger. He's governed by fear. Me coming back makes me vulnerable. Me coming back makes me exposed. And so I will take the chance that this grace thing that is on his life will actually come through. And so you see one person who is in a position of anger and another person who is in a position of fear. Paul, who is the one who precipitates this whole thing, has been in both positions. You realize that? Here Paul is. And he's talking. Paul knew what it was like to stand in front of people ashamed. The apostles wouldn't even talk to him at first. And so when Paul comes to the apostles, at the very first time the Bible says Barnabas has to bring him. And, and, and just prior, months prior, he was persecuting Christians. And they still would have remembered that one of their closest friends, Stephen, was killed. And Paul was there collecting the jackets of everybody to do it. Could you imagine that meeting? Paul probably didn't feel so good about himself. Also, if you realize in the book of Philemon, he mentions this, fe this fellow Mark. What's Mark doing in there? Remember Mark? Remember the story of Mark? 
that was the time where Mark, Mark is the reason that Paul and Barnabas split up. He was Barnabas' nephew. Barnabas wanted to bring him along. Paul says, forget, this guy is useless. This guy is useless. He, he doesn't have the guts. He doesn't have the stamina. He doesn't have the strength to go on. He, he, in Pamphylia, he just kind of takes off. But here, years later, he says, Paul, one of my fellow servants, greets you as well. Well, what happened? You know, history tells us that Peter probably helped in the restoration. But there was a point where Mark had to come before Paul and say, hey, I'm sorry for what happened. You see, we find ourselves, we find ourselves at the table of anger or we find ourselves at the table of fear. We have to understand that we are in a process where God can stall the relation or the relationship will stall or God can heal it and minister in a powerful way. And Paul says this. Listen, Philemon. He says, I could force you. I could force you as the leader of the church to forgive him and put him in the position where he needs to be. But whenever grace is forced, it is never free. He says, if you're going to do it, you have to do it because you love Jesus. And if you don't, you will still remain in bondage over the anger of what is going on. There must have been some type of a meeting. I'm not too sure exactly how it looked. Mind you, this letter was probably, <laughs> was probably read publicly. And, and quite possibly could have been read by Philemon. And Philemon is reading all this stuff. You need to forgive him. You need to make him just a, a fellow person. What are you going to do? And he looks up and sees the whole congregation looking at him saying, well, what are you going to do? And so forced grace never, ever works. But grace continues to challenge us. You might be here, might be listening. Grace is challenging you. What do I do with the anger? What do I do with the fear? And grace restores lives. Grace actually reminds us of Christ. There's a part in this letter where Paul says this. Listen, Philemon, if he owes you anything, I will pay it. Now, let's keep in mind that you, know, you owe me your very soul. I was the one who led you to Jesus. But if he owes you anything, I will pay it. You know why that's so important? Because it exemplifies, it signifies, it becomes, it becomes a symbol of what God had done for us. It, it demonstrates this thing which is called grace. Grace paying a debt off or forgiving a debt. Grace reminds us of Jesus. It reminds us of Christ. Grace runs the extra mile. If you look in this verse, if you look in this, 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 this book of Philemon, there's a number of things that Paul says. He says, I realize that not only are you going to, to do that, you're going to do even more, it says in verse 21. And I don't think we fully understand. You quickly read through that book because you think it's devotion time. I need to go to bed. Hey, I'm just going to read a whole book in 25 verses. Perfect. You know, it's a good, I got my God mark for my little star in my little Bible because I read a whole verse, a whole, whole book, 25 verses. But I don't think we really understand what Paul was asking of Philemon. He wasn't just saying to him, listen, you need to, oh, you need to forgive the offense. You know, the crime that he committed, you need to forgive it. It wasn't just that. 
He was also asking him, and he wasn't just saying, well, listen, you need to forgive the financial debt. Don't worry about him paying it back. He's not only saying that, he's not only saying this. Here he is, come back, forgive the, forgive the offense, forgive the debt, but he can go back being a slave. He's not saying that. He is saying, I want you to treat him. It says in verse 7, welcome him like you would welcome me. It says in verse 16, as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So what he was saying is, he's coming back, but I want him to remain free. I want you to help him out. I want him to be a brother. I want him to be able to be a free man. This is a lot to be asking of Philemon. And when you stop and consider, there's a verse. There's a verse that says this, for in Jesus Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. You know where it says that? Colossians, the very other letter that Onesimus was holding in his hand. Do you think that there is a coincidence to that? I think there's probably an overflow of Philemon's letter that finds itself in Colossians. Not only does grace run the extra mile, I'll say this. Grace regenerates us. It puts us back into the place where we can become useful. And this is where Paul in Philemon uses the play on words that he says, you know what? He was useful to me. He was beneficial. He was onesimous to me. But now he's going to be useful to me, and he's going to be useful to you. Because when grace is extended, it allows the presence of God to move and heal and flow. And when grace is not extended... It holds us back, and we never, ever understand to the extent that we miss out. When you were extended grace, at the time that you gave your heart to Jesus, if you know Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus, you need to give him your heart and your life. You need to ask him to come in. But for those who have asked Jesus to come in and become Lord of our lives, and not only that, to passionately follow him, we received this thing which was called grace. And when we did, it allowed you to be useful. And when you receive grace from others, it frees you. And when you give grace and forgive the debt of others, it also frees you. And there might be people who listen to this and say, I'm sorry, I have my argument, and I have my Bible verse, and I think I'm going to hold on that because I think I have the upper moral edge in this. Because look, here's my Bible verse. Obviously, I'm right in this thing. And if the Word of God is the Word of God, then I have right to be able to hold on to whatever grudge or whatever unforgiveness I have, to hold on to the offense. But the problem is, when you do that, you never ever get free. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in the book of Philemon. And it gives us an important message for today. You ever hear the rest of the story of Philemon? Let me tell it to you. A couple of decades later, around 100 AD, there was a church father which was very popular. His name was Ignatius. And he was the church father 
of Antioch. Antioch was an important time for the church. It was where, it was where the Greeks first became to know Jesus, and they started to get saved. And, and Ignatius was a very popular father, and so much so that under Roman persecution, he ended up being fed to the lions in the year 107. But as it, as it was with Paul, it took a number of years to go through that whole process, and so they feel that he was arrested in the year 100 A.D. And so he's on a journey, and he stops in the midst of all this terrible things that is happening to Ignatius, he stops in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus understands that Ignatius is, is being held. And so they send a delegation along with the bishop of Ephesus. And they do absolutely everything that they can to encourage the heart of this individual. And so... He goes on and later he eventually gets near Rome, but he sends a letter back to talk about the kindness of Ephesus and the church leader there that said, his love surpassed words. He took him out of a pit and encouraged him as much as he possibly could. And so he sends this letter to the church of Ephesus, which is still in circulation today. They still have that letter today. You know who the name is of the leader of the church of Ephesus at that time? His name was Onesimus. And they're not totally, absolutely sure, but the timing certainly fits. And Ephesus and Colossae were extremely close. And many people believe that this, this leader of the church called to comfort this guy, Ignatius, became the head of the church of Ephesus. It's also believed that near that time, they began to collect all of the letters that Paul had wrote to go into the canon of Scripture. And the person who had them was the leader of the church of Ephesus. This person called Onesimus. And I think that probably at that time, as they're collecting the letters, Onesimus probably had this one tucked away. He said, can we add this letter as well? It changed my life. If this letter had never, ever been written, if the grace was never, ever extended to me, I would have continued in the place where I was. Maybe in prison, I don't know what I had become, but this letter somehow freed me because grace was extended, not just from God to me. It was extended through the community who accepted me, despite the fact that it had no business doing it. But somehow there was an intervention. And this letter means so much to me because it breathes life to me. Makes sense, doesn't it? That that's what takes place. We need to practice grace within the family. And if we don't, we will die. Grace, love, and acceptance is our distinctive in a lost world. Gordon MacDonald says, the rest of the world can do all this stuff better than us. The one thing that they can't do better than us is to practice this thing called grace. And if I worry about one thing in our post-Christian church world, our post-Christian, our post-COVID world, is I worry that sometimes that we will never extend the grace of all the junk that happened over the last couple of years. 
And I believe that God is saying the thing. And I'll just say this. I can't force you to give up your debt because forced grace will never free anyone. But I appeal to you as the leader of this church and for your sake and for the individual's sake, for us to go on, for God to move, that we extend grace because grace was extended to us. God, I just pray that you will do something powerful. I pray, Father, that you will move in every single person who hears this message and the Spirit of God has already hit them in a place where they know that they need to extend grace. Lord, I just pray that healing will happen as a result, as we see it happened in the New Testament church. And I pray, Father, that you will be lifted up. And I pray, Father, that people will begin to grow and be everything that you have called them to be in the body of Christ. And Lord, let that grace be extended, Father, to a lost and dying world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Let us still be part of the conversation of your life. Again, I don't know who's listening online, and I don't know where you stand spiritually, um, but we want to be an active part uh, in ministering to your life. Whether you never come into, uh, into this church in person, we still want to be a part of the formation of your life spiritually. Let us be able to do that. Contact the church. Let's start the conversation. And may God bless you, and have a great rest of your day and week. Amen.